You are listening to the sermon podcast of Nielsville Presbyterian Church, a Christ-centered church in Germantown, Maryland. To learn more about Nielsville, visit us online at nielsville.org. The scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9. I'll be reading verses 1 through 8. And in getting into a boat, Jesus crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Sermon on the Mount ends this way, quote, When Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as their scribes. So what evidence did Jesus bring of his authority? To teach in this way. He heals the sick we see in Matthew 8. Calms the storms. He casts out demons. And here at the beginning of chapter 9. He saves people. Between each of the five discourses in Matthew. There's these five major discourses. Or, or teaching sections in Matthew. Jesus performs miracles as evidence of the authority which he has. The authority to meet our greatest need, the forgiveness of sins. That is our greatest need. And it's the greatest cause for joy and celebration in heaven. Luke 15, 7 says this, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. What's he saying there? He's saying our greatest need is forgiveness of sin. And when a sinner repents and is forgiven, there is a party going on in heaven. The 99 who think that they don't need repentance, that they don't need the Lord, that they're righteous on their own, nothing. Crickets. But one person, one person who turns to the Lord by faith, and he says there is a great celebration of joy. And this follows along with the pattern we see in Jesus' teaching. The very first Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, starts this way. Blessed are the poor in spirit. That is to say, blessed are those that, that know their great need spiritually. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus and his little band of brothers traveled back across the sea. We read last week, uh, he was on one side, he crosses over to his adopted hometown of Capernaum. And we imagine that that 
trip back must have been a little bittersweet. Remember, he healed two men of demon possession. But what was the reaction of the people? They begged him to leave. Now, today's passage is recorded also in, in Mark and Luke. All three Gospels recall this group of friends who bring their friend with a disability to be healed by Jesus. Interestingly, Mark and Luke record, uh, record a lot more detail than Matthew. They say that Jesus is in a house. We don't see that in Matthew's version, right? And he's teaching people, and the house is crowded, so much so that there's no way for these friends to bring their friend with a disability to Jesus. And so what do they do? They go up to the roof. And in, in the ancient world, uh, houses were built with a staircase on the outside of the building so you can have access to the roof. Imagine how hot it is, no air conditioning. You could sleep on the roof. And so both Mark and Luke record that they carried him up and they tore a hole in the ceiling. Interesting, Mark mentions that it was made of straw and hey, Luke mentions tile but for another conversation of these different interesting details that are, that are included. But it says that they lowered their friend down on the mat, either with ropes or very long arms, right into the midst of where Jesus was teaching and he responds to their faith. But, but here, in Matthew's version, he cuts all that out. He gets right to the point of what happens. The focus of this passage, listen, is Jesus' authority and our response. That's really what we've seen all the way through Matthew 8 and now into chapter 9. The authority of Jesus, the promised king, and what are we going to do about it? What's going to be our response? Look at verse 2. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son. Your sins are forgiven. Jesus commends their faith. Our response to Jesus is to be one of faith. And, and faith is not simply a mental exercise. It's like, hmm, yes, I definitely have faith in that. No, throughout all the Gospels, and especially here in Matthew, faith is put into action. And here we see the action of faith of five individuals. Count them. One, two, three, four, five. How do I come up with five? Well, there's at least four friends holding each of the four corners. The man on the mat, is he not demonstrating his faith? He, he believes that Jesus will heal him. They are responding to Jesus and to his authority and to his title. These people have faith. So much so that they're willing to do something a little radical, a little mischievous. I mean, imagine here we are in church and if someone opened a hole in the roof or if someone messed up the worship service and everything stopped and everything was a commotion. And that's okay with Jesus. That's the kind of faith that he is expecting and smiling to see. And what is Jesus' response to this man with a disability? He does not heal him at first. These are obvious needs, Jesus. He can't move. But he doesn't meet the visible need first. Instead, look at what he says. Take heart, my son. Your sins are forgiven. Now, we have no idea how old this man was. I think of it being a, a young man. But just look at these words. Take heart. Take courage. It's like what the angel said to the shepherds. 
not to be afraid. What the angel said to Mary, no, do not be afraid, Mary. In the same way, take heart, my son. And, and who knows Jesus' age compared to this person, but there's more of this affection, this love that's being expressed as one of God's beloved ones. Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And what do you think is the reaction of those friends? How would you react in a similar situation? Disappointed? Yeah. Maybe a little embarrassed? You, you just tore a hole in the roof. You've made this big commotion. You sort of want to back out of it. Like, just kidding. They, they must have all kinds of concern about what's happening. What about the religious leaders? What's their reaction? They're ticked. That's right. You bet. What about the forgiven person lying flat on his back? And this would have been the most happy moment in his life. In heaven, the angels say it's time to party for a sinner is saved. That reality in heaven is happening inside this man. He couldn't yet walk, but his spirit soared. His circumstances hadn't changed, but he had been liberated from guilt. He was saved, so he's having a party lying there still on the floor. Listen, Jesus treats the greatest need first. If he cures his paralysis first, that would save him from years of suffering, no doubt. But to restore his soul saves him for all eternity. That, my friends, is redeeming grace. It's the weight of sin holding his spirit down that's the biggest problem. It's weighing him down. It's all the heaviness. Think of the heaviness of, heaviness of his thoughts that loaded him down. To think every day of his life, why am I paralyzed? What did my parents do? See, at this time, and we see in other parts of Scripture, even the disciples asking Jesus, Jesus, did this happen to this one because of the sins of, of their parents? And so I can imagine this man thinking, why, why am I paralyzed? Did my parents do something? Did they offend God? A am I paying for their sins? Weighed down by that. Weighed down by the guilt and shame. It's me. I did something wrong. My siblings are fine, but I'm... I'm a burden. I'm dead weight. It must be something that I've done to offend God. What did I do to deserve this? All of that weighing him down. Jesus meets the spiritual need of a physically paralyzed person. And then he confronts the spiritually paralyzed scribes. Verse 3. Behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, this man is what? Come on. I just want to make sure we're on it. That's right. He's blaspheming. He is saying something sacrilegious. He's, he's taking the Lord's name in vain. He's disrespecting our God. And can we blame him? You know, a couple of weeks ago I told you I was in Boston at a conference of really fancy mucky-mucks uh, scholars with tons of, of PhDs and the whatnot uh, talking about uh, scripture and the study of, of God's word. And one of the speakers uh, opened his hour-long lecture with the question, did Jesus think he was God? 
this individual has written about yay many books. Did Jesus think he was God? And at the end of that lecture, the question was still out there because that individual didn't have an answer. And I would humbly say, Matthew chapter 9 has the answer. Jesus thought he was God because he leads by saying, your sins are forgiven. An action that only God can take. Now look at the reaction of these scribes. They're afraid to speak up. Now what's happening here? Is this a, a whisper? Are they whispering to one another? Does Jesus have great hearing? Or is he actually reading their thoughts? Look at verse 4. It says, But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? Why do you think evil in your hearts? What a powerful rhetorical question. And so often when we're confronted by something that we, we know is not true, isn't right, is, is evil, when we acknowledge that, when we name that, whether it's an idea or a concept or a philosophy or an action in our world, what do we get labeled as? You're so intolerant. Who are you to judge my actions or my thoughts? It's my opinion. You can have your opinion. It's my opinion. But Jesus doesn't have that struggle at all here. He names it as he sees it. He says, those thoughts you're having are evil. They are not honoring to the Lord. Why do you think evil in your hearts? And I love this part. Verse 5, another question that they're speechless to answer. Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, rise and walk? There's no way to test forgiveness, but it's, it's easy to see healing power if it could be proved by someone literally being healed. So which is easier? And they have no response. If he was a fake, he could say that he's uh, forgiven all sorts of people, but the proof is in the pudding. The proof would truly be in a healing. Verse 6, but that you may know but that you may know, remember, this is the theme throughout Matthew so far. The authority of Jesus being made known and our reaction. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And I said the man, not the paralytic, because he's no longer identified by his disability. How sad it is that we label people by their disability, by their situation in life. Did you see that homeless man panhandling? That's who he is. He's a homeless man. Jesus says, no, he's my son. He's my brother. Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. We've had several sermons in a row about people coming to Jesus and about miracles, but this passage isn't mainly about coming to Jesus, and it's not mainly about a healing even as we see these five individuals coming to Jesus and we see a healing and miracle. This passage, and really the, the message today, listen, what I want to have us focus our attention on is Jesus' authority to forgive sins and your response. Because listen, our greatest need is forgiveness of sin, and he's offering it right now. Verse 6 that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. 
Don't you know that's your greatest need? This is the thrill of hope the weary world rejoices over. The forgiveness of sins is the greatest gift possible. It is the start of the Christian life. One of the results of Jesus' work, forgiveness in the Bible is a dismissal of penalty, a cancellation of debt. The forgiveness we have in Christ is the complete dismissal of all charges against us. Romans 8.1 puts it this way, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You're not weighed down anymore by condemnation. Those weights are lifted. Colossians 1.14 says that God's beloved son, quote, through him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And the New Living Translation puts it this way, Christ purchased our freedom and forgives our sins. This is throughout Scripture. This is the gospel message. Forgiveness and freedom. Freedom to do what? To put our faith into action. So what's our reaction to his offer of forgiveness? It says the young man goes home. That's the, the first words of obedience that Jesus says. Here's my command to you. Go home. Why should he go home? I think Maybe to repair the damage done in his family. Maybe he has parents weighed down and struggling at home, and so he's going to go home and relieve them of that pain. Maybe this young man needs to ask for forgiveness from his parents and his family. Maybe he needs to forgive. Go home. Make things right. This is the first response that Jesus commands this individual and you and me. Jesus says in Matthew 6, the Sermon on the Mount, if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. God's forgiveness of our sin is to be measured, is to be the measure of our gracious forgiveness of others. If you're wondering, well, am I forgiven by the Lord? Am I putting that into real action? The question would be, are you forgiving others? Ephesians 4.32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ forgave you. So again, this passage, it's about the authority of Jesus to forgive sins because this is our greatest need he alone can forgive you, can free you, can mend a broken heart, can cleanse us, can wash away our sin. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. The forgiveness of sin is our deepest need possible through the Son. And out of that great work of redeeming grace, we are to be forgiving of others. We all have felt needs. We all have real wants. Some of us here, I know I'm looking around the, the, the congregation there are paralyzing life problems that you are facing. And Jesus has the answer to all of them. But we know Jesus as the great physician. And the great physician does triage. He assigns the degrees of urgency to our spiritual wounds and illnesses and situations. And he decides the order of treatment. And he starts with the most life-threatening condition first. That's triage. Some of us are struggling right now 
with the weight of our circumstances. Some of us here in this room are pinned down under it. Some of us are being pulled under by massive debt and bills and circumstances. The season of Advent brings up painful memories and it drags us deeper and deeper into depression. Some of us don't feel that we have any friends to carry us. And we're thinking, Lord, why don't you fix my situation? You know, no one can read your mind except for God. He knows what's on your heart. We don't know. I can't read your mind, nor can our elders or deacons. What's pulling you down? Who you're angry at. Maybe you're angry at God for his unwillingness to help you. Look to this young man, forgiven and free, who rose and went home. Jesus proved his power. His limbs were strengthened, blood pumped, nerve endings grew, bones were built, and he went home. How do you react to that? How did the crowds react? Look at verse 8. The crowds saw it. They were afraid. And they glorified God who get, had given such authority to men. Let's look at their reaction. It says they were afraid. Now we talk about fear. Fear of the Lord. And we say that's not the same as being afraid. Fear of the Lord is awe and reverence and, and wow God kind of moments. This is fear. They are afraid of Jesus. Awestruck. They marvel, and yet they do not accept the Son as their Lord and King. They marvel that God would give this band of brothers, this carpenter's son, and his little band of followers authority. But they do not acknowledge him as Lord and King. This is about his authority, and it's relevant, listen, to us, because it's all about your response right now, December 3rd, 2017. Are you going to be one of the crowd? Or will you choose to be a disciple? The crowd went as far as they knew, but they refused to give the Lord Jesus the honor he deserves. They knew something amazing had happened. It was a miracle but what was missing? What was missing was they didn't have faith to believe. Their response showed a lack of faith. They had not been given the, the grace of faith that, to believe that Jesus Christ is king. This crowd marveled. They followed him around. They crowded the house so much so that as he's teaching, their shoulder to shoulder, uh, true followers, uh, those that have true faith, weren't even allowed to get into him. But not once does Matthew describe in all of his gospel these people turning to Jesus in repentance. Not once in all the gospel of Matthew does the crowd ever turn to Jesus in repentance and ask for the forgiveness of sin. Jesus gives evidence upon evidence upon proof of his authority to forgive, no one in the crowd ever demonstrates a forgiving spirit, a helping hand, a sign of penetrating grace. There's zero evidence throughout the gospel. 
we come to Matthew chapter 11, 23 and 24. And you, Capernaum, his adopted hometown, will you be lifted to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. He's saying, hometown peeps, do you think that you're going to heaven? No. Because you haven't responded by faith. But the people of Sodom, that you all judge, oh, those terrible, unspeakable people. Oh, nasty. I would never dare go to that town. Jesus says the people of Sodom, they know that they are poor in spirit. They will be with me in paradise. The crowd in his own city saw and heard him more than any other group in the flesh, but they were never filled with faith. Being amazed isn't enough. Being moved isn't enough. Showing up for church isn't enough. Singing the carols isn't enough. What do we need? We need to accept the merciful love of our redeeming God. We need to plead our need to be liberated from guilt and shame. And we need more than half a Savior. We need more than half a Savior that gets, a, gets us a ticket out of, out of hell and into heaven. We need a Savior every day. What do we sing? I need thee every hour. O oh Lord, I need thee. I need your grace, O oh God. Because there's still a burden. There's still a misunderstanding that I have within myself of my true identity, the labels that are put on me and on you. Teach me again your ways that I might walk in them. Only Jesus can fix our deepest brokenness. So take heart. By faith he will forgive you. Be not afraid. The Savior is born. He lived he died on a cross. He rose on the third day. He now reigns in heaven. And he invites you to put your faith into action and to come to this table. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, you alone are able to forgive our sins. Now, Lord, so often we, we hear that. We acknowledge in our heads, yes, we learned it in Sunday school years ago, but it's not operative in the here and now. It's not relevant to our circumstance. And yet, Lord, if we went around this room, there wouldn't be a soul among us who wouldn't say, I'm carrying a burden, a secret, a memory, a pain, a circumstance that I'm questioning where you are in it, Lord. And so that brings these words of Scripture right to our present moment and circumstance. And so, God, we hear your, your invitation to rise and to go forth. Bless us now, Lord God, as we come to your table. Amen.